Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live on stage and without notes. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, our featured storytellers pack some atomic power in our flagship season, Brave the Elements. On April 30th, 2019 at Jump in downtown Boise, these storytellers got into their element with stories inspired by the theme, Helium. And now, our featured storytellers, Ella Weber, Jesse Roberts, and Mikey Pullman. It's Elemental. It's story time. Ella Weber. Hi, my name is Ella Weber, and I'm a junior at Boise High School. Last year, in my accelerated chemistry class, we had an assignment to relate the periodic table of elements to, thing we, to things we knew well. Knowing the unique properties of helium, I decided to relate the element to myself. Being an adventurous person, there have been very few times in my life where I've been afraid to stand out from a crowd. Whether that be backcountry skiing with all male counterparts, rock climbing to heights most people would find insane, or taking all advanced classes in school. My parents have always pushed me to become my own unique person, but some of their views have been instilled in me since day one. Probably the most notable were their defined political values. I've always been taught that guns didn't belong in our household, that they were dangerous, and it's something that I should be afraid of. These beliefs have been personified in 2017 when there had been many mass shootings, many of them being in schools. I knew that this country was ready for change, but as a 16-year-old, what could I even do? I can't vote. I didn't vote in the 2016 election, yet November 8th, 2016, was, will be a date that have, will be forever ingrained in my mind. I followed the election closely, especially after Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were elected as the party's nominees for president. The night that Trump had won, I was devastated in a whirlwind of emotions. I was confused, angry, but most of all, I was upset at the American people. I felt let down. The night after the election, I sat in my, bre- in my bed, crying, eating Ben and Jerry's ice cream, and, think- and thinking what this would mean for gun control policies in the United States. I went, after this, in that, in that spring of, 28, of 2018, I went to the March for Our Lives event, which was a student-led protest. As I walked out of my class, that Wednesday morning around 10 a.m., I joined hundreds of other students as we marched in the streets of Boise. As I stood at the bottom steps of the Capitol, I knew that this generation was ready for change, for gun control policies to be updated, and for students to be safe in an academic environment. I, was, I knew that this generation was ready for change, but I also realized that my beliefs that I had known about guns were things that I knew since day one. I needed to challenge these beliefs, which led to me going to a pro-gun rally, which was held this September of 2018. And as I walked out of the house that morning, my mom called me crazy and told me to be safe. But I didn't need my mom to tell me these things. I knew that there were people who were gonna yell and scream at us and even swear. But as I walked from my car to the Capitol building, I felt surrounded, outnumbered even. There were me, my three other unarmed friends, and a a thousand people all carrying their guns. 
I remember walking and quietly holding our sign that read, keep guns out of schools. And I, there were people who were yelling at us, telling us, asking us why we were there. But there were also these people who wanted to have a genuine conversation. I remember this one man, probably in his mid-50s, who had a burly beard, and he came up to me and asked me why I was there. And I responded, well, I'm here for the same reasons you are. I'm here to advocate for my beliefs. After a few minutes with talking with him, I posed the question, do you really think putting guns into schools will do any good? And he said, well, of course not. Putting guns into schools isn't gonna help the situation, but taking away my guns isn't gonna do any good either. And at this point, I realized that not all gun owners were crazy, or were against gun control, or were wanted guns in schools. But I did realize that they were afraid of as what they deem as their rights to be revoked. After the gun rally, I did numerous things that were outside my comfort zone. I went shooting, probably something I wouldn't have ever done without the experience of the gun rally. And when I held that small pistol, I felt powerful. Like, but I realized that some, everyone has access to this power, which can be scary at times. I've also started hanging out with people at my school who drive big trucks and wear Make America Great Again hats. There was this one time where we went to one of their houses to play cornhole. Yes, cornhole. It's where you'd like throw this bag of corn into this odd box made out of wood. <laughs> and the most surprising event that happened that night for me was I had a lot of fun. And I realized that we bonded over the love for our school, our adventures in the outdoors, and even as a vegetarian and as a liberal, I have plans to go hunting this fall. <laughs> and throughout this entire experience, I realized that I, even though I might have differences with them, I also have lots of commonalities. And finding common ground between our groups was one of the most powerful things I've ever done. I also realized that it's important that I don't give up my own personal political values but rather have conversations and be able to talk to one another. That is where you'll find the most difference. And I keep going back to that one day in my chemistry class where I related myself to helium. But I realize I'm less like helium than I thought. Helium has no need for any other electrons in its outer shell. But me, my outer shell is far from full. I enjoy interacting with others, having conversations, advocating for my beliefs. And as long as I keep seeking the thrill and new experiences, my outer shell will never be full. Thank you. Jesse Roberts. So yeah, I am from uh, New Plymouth. I live there with a whole pile of kids and my husband. It's like the yours, mine, and ours, but it's mostly like mine that I brought with me and then we made ours. And, um, and in addition to all of my kids and the shoe that we live in, um, we, we also have a super cool business 
Um, at least that's what like the magazines and the awards and stuff are telling me. Um, we have been in some super cool magazines like Cowboys and Indians and um, yeah, they have magazines named that. And um, Ink Magazine and The Real Simple. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, those magazines are kind of what brought me here today, or at least to where I'm at today. I was on the internet searching on Facebook and I uh, love following Ink Magazine, which is like an entrepreneur magazine. And I decided to, you know, as a internet, like, uh, what do they call those? Like the people who like are behind the scenes on the internet, like, what is that called whenever? When, well, no, like when you're, you like think you're really cool because you're on the internet and you're not like in person. I decided to call out Ink Magazine. I was like, hey, social media person, if you even read these messages, like you should feature more small businesses or rural businesses than all these ones that are in big cities. And, um, you know, because the mom and pops out there, we would really love some content to read too. And uh, so my relationship with Ink actually started. They responded, which was kind of cool. And uh, they, actually this last year, they gave me an award. Um, Cheekies was listed as, in the Inc. 5000, I think number 346 for one of the fastest growing companies in America. Yeah. And um, we've uh, done, I think, like $20 million in revenue in New Plymouth without a conventional bank loan. It's like a few guidos and sharks every now and then, but you no know, like real banks. And, um, and then I got this call and uh, this person on the phone asked me if I wanted to write a book. And it wasn't like one of those books where you write it and you like buy all the copies and your garage is full of them. It was like not a scam and they actually like paid me to write a book and uh, I didn't believe them until I actually got the first check. I was 100% convinced it was a scam. So uh, I, all of that aside, I wanna tell you guys, I actually have this really big secret to tell y'all. Um, it is, uh, one of those secrets that makes you have like a panic attack and you call Jody and you're like, I don't know if I can do this because I um, speak all the time and I'm never scared, but it's one of those secrets that really kind of scares you. Um, so after the uh, book contract was signed, my publisher asked me, she's like, so is this a business book or is this like a memoir? Is it like an inspirational book? Like what kind of book is this? And I started thinking about those secrets because in my industry, there's a ton of secrets. You know, there is no like report for boutiques or apparel brands. It's like, hey, the glittery report came out and Jesse sold 20,000 Sherpas this last month and she's cool. I mean, in the real estate business, they have like a report that says you sold so many houses. But in my industry, they don't. So a lot of the girls in my industry just make it up as they go. Like they just, they just say all these things. They tell all these lies. And then there's all these women that look at us and they think, how did she get there? How did she do that? How did she um, go through the stuff I'm going through? How did she make that? And 
I knew when I was writing this book, it was really important to me that I didn't, um, I didn't feed into that, that I didn't have secrets. So I thought the big secret for me was gonna be that I was gonna be transparent in my book. I was gonna tell my publisher, you know, I don't know what the book is yet, but I know I'm gonna be honest, and I'm gonna say that it's actually 200 Sherpas, not 20,000, and I'll probably even tell them what a Sherpa is. And so, and where to buy one, um, or have one made. And my co-writer, well see now, that's kind of a funny word because uh, I was given a ghostwriter, and I told him, I said, a ghostwriter doesn't really work for me. I don't feel like it's fair for all these women to think, oh, she runs this big company and has these four kids, and she just wrote a really cool book on the side. I wanted a co-writer. I wanted those girls to know that it took somebody else to help me make this beautiful book. And Brett told me, that's the co-writer, he's like, Jesse, um, I'm fine with that, but if you're gonna be transparent, I need you to like let all the secrets out. Like I need you to like, I need you to tell them more than just the business. Like I need you to tell them like, how did you get to where you are? Like for real, like who made you? How did you get that way? So I um, decided that I needed to kind of start at the beginning and when I relate myself to helium, first of all, it's kind of weird, the helium periodic number is two. And it was about two years old when my mom and I moved back from Germany to Texas, which is where all the helium kind of comes from, from what I hear. But um, we moved back uh, to Texas, and that's where I met my new daddy. And my mom became a dancer, not the Juilliard type. Um, <laughs> And it was about eight years old when I realized that I wasn't like all the other kids that were out there. And I started to really learn what secrets were about. I remember I was spinning around, I had my hands out, and I was just looking up at the clouds and I was thinking, if I could just escape, like if I could just go all the way up. If I could just keep spinning, would I be able to like escape the earth and be away from everything? And I would just spin and spin. And I just kept spinning and, and I'd watch the clouds and then finally I'd try to spin faster. And then my little eight-year-old body just collapsed because I was so tired and at first I really didn't feel the blood on my knees or in my hands. It was my new dad's voice that really kind of brought me back to reality. And he told me, he said, I want you to clean yourself up. He's like, when you go back in, and start to work. I don't want you to get blood on anything. I um, was spinning in a parking lot full of glass. I don't know if it was from a windshield or the beer bottles. He owned a strip mall that had adult bookstores and strip clubs in them where my mom worked. 
And uh, it was easier to keep that secret. It was easier to say that she fell playing than it was to really just tell the truth that there was a secret punishment. There was a way to punish me without anybody knowing. So when I come back to the book and I think, will those secrets be just those surface secrets? Or will I really be able to like dig in and share? Sorry. I had to decide, like, could I stop keeping secrets that I had kept my whole life? Could I really be transparent in this book? Not just for the girls who wanted to know something about business, but to know what it really took to be able to be at that place in my life. I had an interview with Forbes about two months ago, and they asked me, the journalist said, so when did you know that you were successful? And I told her, it was when I realized I didn't have to keep secrets anymore. Mikey Pullman. After tonight, I'm gonna go get some sleep. I'm gonna get up in the morning and I'm gonna fly away from Boise forever. I'll still visit. I'm gonna land in Seattle. This story has a happy ending, but it had a better beginning. I was born in Boise at St. Luke's, 1977, May 3rd. I was a happy child. I mean, I had jaundice twice. But my first memory was on 20th Street near Hill Road at a yard sale running around a little pine tree with the other children, laughing the way that only children can laugh, free, without stress, without care. And I have spent my whole life trying to come upon that lightness again. Because to me, helium is an inspiration. It's everything that I want to be, and it's everything that I have struggled to be. My life quickly got heavy very weighted down. I was a very, very angry boy. In the third grade, I kicked over my desk and I threw all my books at my teacher. In the fourth grade, I had a disagreement with the gym teacher and I left school and walked home. I didn't think about what I was gonna tell my parents when I came in the door. And the first words they came out with were, what are you doing here? I left. In the fifth and the sixth grades at Taft Elementary School, they had to switch teachers because the original teacher who got me couldn't handle me. When I was 12 years old, walking to Taft Elementary School, we used to walk because State Street has always been so busy. I lived on Willow Lane the year that they built the athletic complex. And we used to walk to school because there was only a couple lanes at State Street back then and it, nobody wants to take the bus when you could just walk. And when we walked in on that morning, some kids met me and my friends and they told me that my friend, Stuart, committed suicide. He was 11 years old. 
They had grief counselors that came and they talked to us. But I didn't believe it. What I had done when I first heard the news was I started creating jokes and things that I would say to Stuart when I met him. They let us go to the funeral. It was an open casket and my first body. I leaned in close to see the crisscross hatch marks of how they sewed his lips shut, but you could still see the marks on his neck. You see, Stuart was escaping the life that I lived. My parents are not in my life anymore. They never belonged. My mother's deaf, and she would use that to cover a multitude of sins. We would move from church to church. She would throw things at us if she was impatient. She would hit us if we were close enough. Sometimes her and my sister would get into slap fights. I tried to escape. I got into all sorts of things. I got into music. I got into church. I played some more, but I became heavier. I got married right outside of turning 18. My parents had kicked me out by putting everything that I had owned into black plastic bags and throwing it on the lawn. When I came home with my church friends that day, they sent out my sister, who had a learning disability, and my eight-year-old brother to tell me that if I didn't leave, they were going to call the cops. And I left my family forever. My second wife I met on 9-11. I was getting a massage therapy degree. She was in an abusive relationship, and I like to rescue broken things. The things that she would do to herself were things that I can't even really say in this room. There were steak knives and emergency rooms. And it carved something out of me and left me weighted even more. Not long after that relationship and a near brush with suicide myself, I started doing stand-up comedy in Boise 14 and a half years ago. I was the first person in Boise that's doing comedy right now that was out as a queer person. I told the audiences in Boise, Idaho that I was bisexual, and they did what audiences 14 and a half years ago did. They got quiet, and they judged you. They judged me. But I can't help it. I have wanted so much to float away, to become something different than what I am, because inside I am light, inside I am free. It was a real struggle for a really long time. Years later, working out so many things, underneath this very room, there used to be a gay bar called the Emerald Club. <laughs> and it was a place where people like me could just exist. There were lesbians playing pool every day, and a cute gay guy without a shirt on feeding me drinks one night. He fed me a lot of drinks that night. After a shift, we went outside and we started making out against the wall. Two young gay people, free, 
with each other. And then something happened for the very first time to me that had never happened before. If you're gay and you're older than me, this is something that was a major part of your life. And if you are anywhere on the saga spectrum, anywhere, you may not remember what it was like, but for the first time in my life, halfway through an interaction with another person, all hot and bothered, my potential lover looked me in the eyes and told me that they were HIV positive. I didn't react the way that I should have reacted. I didn't react the way that I would react today. I am learning to not react at all. But at this point, I was cold. And he went and he banged on the tour bus that was outside the building. This punk rock band climbed out to beat us up because we were loud and angry and gay. I never talked to that man again. But there's a piece of me that always loves him because he deserves love. I don't even know if he's still here. That bar is gone. This new thing is built on top of it. It was a long process because I was such an angry boy, but I had grown into such a sad man. There's a lot of people in this room that know me because I have been here doing things for a long time. I started doing an atheist show several years ago. I'm the uh, only person who produces a show for non-believers in the city of Boise, Idaho. I recently put together the Boise queer comedy scene. We actually have a show uh, downtown on the 18th of May. I have been invested in trying to build things for my community because I am a beacon for my people. I dress like a road flare. <laughs> I see the way that you look at me. I see the way that I am looked at. It is difficult because in letting go of all the things that I have been, in letting go of this despair, of the pathos, of the ennui, of this incredible weight of being and all these things that have weighed me down since I was so young and so little. And it wasn't until now, I turned 42 next week, it wasn't until very close to now that I was able to start letting go and become the thing that I wanted to be. There are a few things like me that are like helium. I mean, I'm clear. <laughs> nurse once said that being able to see my veins was like nurse porn. As I let go of these pieces of myself and I let them float away from me, I became lighter. I let go of all of it, the despair, the brokenness, the anger, piecing myself together, becoming the kind of person that I really wanted to be. You see, helium, when it's cool enough, because something else, it is one of the lowest temperature fluids possible. Helium is so common in the universe. And I feel that connection. But on Earth, it only exists underground, and it is a rare thing. I am a rare thing. Eventually, I let go of enough things to become what I meant to be. 
Not long ago, one of the last things that I let go of was my gender. I came out as gender fluid, March 16th, six weeks ago. I have just started putting together a delightful array of clothing. <laughs> I have yet to find shoes that match. <laughs> I went shopping for shoes today, and they didn't have any of my size. Ladies, I've always been a fan, but now I'm an advocate for the problems with your clothing selections. <laughs> this outfit doesn't have any pockets right now, and I feel like that's a good enough reason to go to war. <laughs> it's been a process getting to this point. If you look at my Facebook memories going far back enough, when I look at all those things, you can actually see these things slowly creeping up on me. Back before I lost a little bit more hair, I used to have really long red pigtails that used to stand out. I started wearing lipstick not that long ago. I've been wearing fingernail polish for a long time. When I was a cashier at Whole Foods, mothers would bring me their young boys who wanted to wear fingernail polish so they could ask me what it was like. And I was very honest because you don't do it for them, you do it for you. You do it so that you can be free, so that you can float. I went from being a comedian to being a punchline. When I go online and I look at what they say about people like me, it is not a kind thing. It is a joke. It is difficult for others to understand. And I've spent my whole life weighted down by those opinions and those ideas. And now, in ways that I have never been, I am very, very free. I have let go of almost everything. I'm ready to be in a new place and do a new thing. And I wasn't ready for that while I was still weighed down with all these things. When I remember the stories of my childhood, when I remember the stories of my 20s, when I remember what it was like to be a sad man. And now I'm a happy they. Yeah. I am loved now in ways that I have never been loved before. I am treated differently. There are people that care about me that are protective of me. When I walk around downtown and I am subjected to the stares of the people around me, there are people around me that care about that. And I don't remember that ever happening to me when I was a man. Men leave very lonely lives. But I'm not lonely anymore. I have a community. In the time that I have been out, in the time that I have been a comedian, there has been a rising of people with voices, much like myself, many different than myself, more different than myself. It is a celebration. I was accepted into the very first queer comedy festival in Portland in 2017. And I hope to be there again later this year. And when I leave Boise, which I will very soon, I will be coming back in July for my first gaytheist show. at the balcony for gays and atheists 
I'm going to be out there doing cool stuff. I'm going to be out there celebrating life. I have let go of everything except for just a couple things. There's one thing that I want to let go of right now in front of you. For 14 and a half years, I have been doing performances in this city. For 10 years, I have been producing shows, small bar shows, large shows, storytelling shows, my whiskey ginger show, which is designed to make you cry. I've had some success in performing and getting better as a musician, as a storyteller, and as a comedian. And now is the time for me to let go of one of the things that I have never been able to let go of before, and that's you, my Boise audience, the people who have been paying to see me and who have been seeing the things that I have been bringing in front of you. For those of you who have watched me help develop people into becoming the kind of rock stars that they're gonna be, we have so much beautiful talent hidden in the rough, buried underneath the ground, where we get helium that you haven't met yet. As I've been sitting here, my friends have been telling me in Boise that it's getting bigger and it's getting better, and it is. But it's not for me anymore. So now, here, I wanna say goodbye to you. And I wanna let go. And I'm gonna float away. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night receives support from the Boise Arts and History Department and is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, our season sponsor, Pettit Realty Group, and the Helium Show sponsor, Moody Wheeland. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello, and our musical guests were Lita Harris Neustetter, J. Todd Dunnigan, and Ted McClure. Support this storied program, get tickets to our live show, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night. If you would like to see our storytellers, check out our YouTube channel at Story Story Boise. You can also donate by phone. Text flagship to 41444. Thanks for being a part of our story.